Jesus, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I uh, have two chainsaws and a log splitter, like a big like motorized log splitter. I'm, the, guys, if you want to feel like a man, split some logs. It just feels really good. It's just they say that your testosterone levels go up when you, when you swing an axe. I don't know if that's true, but it certainly feels that way. But um, this is a wedge. This is, this is one th- way to split a log, right? I, I debated on whether or not this morning I wanted to bring a log and pound this thing through a log on the stage. But I thought maybe that wouldn't, I was afraid like it would snap and like fly off into the crowd or something. But a wedge is something that, you know, you drive into the log and it'll split it apart, right? And they say, I looked up the physics of wedges, right? Last night at four o'clock in the morning, I woke up, physical wedges. And, um, And... and it says basically that the wider, thicker, shorter the wedge, the, the less useful it is. But the longer, more thin. So if this thing was like really long and thin, like more tapered, you know, it would be even better. It would split the log even easier, right? It would take longer to drive it in, but it would split it more easily, right? And I want you to think on that as we explore how we interact with others today, how do we interact with each other in here, and how we interact with others out there. Um, since, you know, we, we can think about the wedges that are driven into our relationships, uh, which eventually split them apart, right? And that's the world we're living in right now. Um, we can also think about the blessings and the love and the guidance that our words and uh, actions can bring to other people. So, Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Great, by the way memorable verses like if you if you, you want to memorize some verses we memorized Matthew 28 18 through 20 the great commission in the past few weeks this one's a good one to memorize as well be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone I want to read that twice Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I want to first say, I want to say that acting wisely towards others is being a good steward of our time, right? It's being a good steward of our time. Opportunities before us uh, in, in, you know, we have these moments, right? These are opportunities that stand before us. And, and the past is gone. We know that. We can't recapture that. Um, the future we can't control. We, have, we don't know what's coming down the pike, right? Now, right now is the only moment that we can craft towards godly interaction. This is the moment, right? Right when you're standing with somebody, right? And seeing every moment... Which, by the way, it's like whenever you preach a sermon, you struggle with it most that week, the week before. And I've struggled with it. I have, I've had to apologize to my wife because I've, I've not done this well this week, right? But seeing every moment as spiritual and every soul before us as God's loved created being enables us, therefore, to appreciate the divinity of the moment and every conversation we find ourselves having how special they can be, how important they are, right? And so what we see is that speech towards others is a metric, a way of measuring our spiritual maturity 
and our godliness, right? How I interact with you, which says a lot about my past week, right, is a measure of my spiritual maturity and my godliness. I still have room to grow. Paul, when writing to the Colossians, instructs them to act wisely towards outsiders, towards others, right? Making the most of their time, making the most of every single moment that they have. And that's very important. Because what we say has impact. People are very, very flippant with what they say these days, right? And what we say does have impact impact. How we communicate with others says something about our own spiritual maturity and God's grace in our lives. And godliness or Christ, you know, Christ-like character is produced through respectful, meaningful communication. And when we're careful in what we say and how we talk, we build up the body, the body of Christ through loving discussion and dialogue. We build up and not break down. And disagreement between us doesn't have to equate to hatred. That's newsflash, right? Disagreement doesn't have to equate to hatred or even dislike. We must be careful with our words since the wedges that we drive into relationships often get stuck there. Or they can be next to impossible to pry loose or they can split it apart never to be recovered again. I've always thought, man, it's such a shame when you see uh, a wood go, a, a branch go into a chipper or a tree go into a chipper. Like they have these machines that eat up trees in like less than two minutes right now. It's just like that thing took years and years to grow. And, um, and it's just so sad to see something that was there, one, and all of a sudden it's split apart and gone, right? And that's what can happen to relationships. Second Timothy 2, 16 and 17 says, avoid godless chatter. <laughs> right? Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become more and more ungodly. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Ugh, that's kind of a nasty thought. And there's a lot of godless chatter out there right now. We, we've all experienced it, right? You know, uh, it's spreading like gangrene, you know, as we are more and more connected through the internet, through social media and things like that. But our connectedness has not made us more gentle and kind in our speech, nor has it made us more mature and grown up, has it? And remember, at 6-8, we like to say we don't just want to grow old, we also want to grow up. We want to be mature in our faith, right? Right? Our infinite connectedness through technology has not strengthened our character and brought peaceful rapport between others, rather the opposite in many cases. We are angrier and shorter with one another. We suffer from information overload and a lot of hearsay or rumor. We're not even sure what truth is in many situations any longer. There seems to be a satanically crafted growing distrust of each other and relationships can't operate without trust, right? Trust is that fertile soil for relationships to grow in, but our trust and, and, our, and our unity are being washed away and relationships simply die or die away as a result. Our speech towards each other and any new person that we meet should be gracious. Sorry, got to turn this off. Should be gracious, should be restorative, should even be winsome. 
right? When we talk to anyone, right, our speech should always be gracious and seasoned with salt. I love that, that term, seasoned with salt, right? Being gracious means that we're not quick to judge somebody else's behavior, their actions, right? But we are rather, we are patient to trust the Holy Spirit to convict them. I'm not the Holy Spirit in their lives, but we're patient that the, the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin and righteousness in many areas of life. Mature believers are like the best forensic psychologist, right? Knowing that the Word of God with, uh, you know, addresses modern man that you know that it's it's that that we are now starting to learn these things in these areas of study that the word is already addressed and long ago scripture has always addressed the underlying and internal motivations which drive aberrant behavior right wrong behavior and there is a right and wrong Christians have always known what Dr. Henry Cloud said, and and that is that external conflicts are difficult to resolve before resolving the internal conflicts which fuel them. It's common sense. It wasn't always common sense to some people, right? We seek to you know, we seek heart transformation as the people of God. We seek heart transformation leading to behavioral change in our lives. We want it to really be true. We know people are complicated. You know, humankind is grand in one sense. It's, it's great, but it's also broken in the sense of it's born into this sinful nature. We need something. And sin in us flourishes as it, it's prodded and it's formed by all the various individual and societal experiences that we have. Christians know that there are outward sinful behaviors and we've always looked below the surface to the underlying causes of these things, patient to see that behavioral change as a, you know, as a person's heart and mind is filled with the light of Christ, as they change in, in, into the, the, the character of Christ and life. Modern psychology and sociology are simply erasing the standards of right and wrong to accommodate the individual self's desires. Because there's little hope and there's little power, and all the psychologists in here are going to get a little mad at me right now, but there's very little hope or very little power for true change of a person through psychology or law. There's only negotiation. Oh, psychologists, are, they're nodding their heads. Amen. There's only negotiation. There's only self-restraint. And there's only coercion. Right? And those only work for a time, and they work on the surface. The only option left, therefore, is to erase the boundaries of what's deemed as aberrant or sinful, making our own truth, which doesn't really work. Psychologist Dr. Martin Seligman says that we've replaced church faith, and community with a tiny little unit which can't bear the weight of meaning, and that is the self. We revolve around the self, he says, and the more obsessed we are with ourselves, the more we neglect our souls. Isn't that weird? In contrast, truth, as we've said in the past, truth is revealed to the Christian from outside of themselves. Right? It's not conjured up and within myself, right? And it addresses the whole being in community with others, right? 
a standard revealed to us by God and that is good for all, good for everybody, good for society, good for communities. Remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law and throw out standards. He came to fulfill them. And the moral law, the moral law of God is a good thing. It's holy since it is what's best for humanity, right? It glorifies God. It it reflects the fidelity and the faithfulness of God to his people. So we're purified by the word of God and our obedience to it, leading us to be able to have our, our, to, to love our neighbors better than ourselves sometimes. First Peter chapter two, chapter one, verse 22. It's the transformational power of the gospel, which brings forth a better person and a better society. That's where true change really happens. Sometimes our obedience to truth comes before our full understanding of why it's good, right? Or even agreeing with it. Remember the the faith train that we looked at last week. Fact, God's word and story of his created order. Don't you feel like a little kid looking at that, right? You know, God's word and the story story of the created order. Faith, right, in the transformational power of the gospel. Faith in Christ and what he's done for us and what he's doing in us and feelings and sometimes feelings fall in line only after we give ourselves over to God. Sometimes we don't fully understand, we don't feel that we agree with God, but we give we are obedient and then our feelings conform to that later. But right now, feelings drive the train. Feelings drive the train in our society, right? I'm not trying to be the old crotchety guy. It is just truth. That's what it is. I feel this way, therefore it's my truth. But individual truth doesn't exist. And without an outside agreed upon standard, that becomes very damaging very quickly. It breaks society apart. It doesn't bring it together. Christians have always urged transformation into something greater. Right? We've always said that in the church. Always. We're not, we're not progressing in our theology. We're not. We've always had the same belief systems in the, in the church. We've always urged transformation to something greater, to what we were originally created to be as beings made in the image of God. That's a beautiful thing. Reflecting God in not, not only outward behavior, but also in the inward heart, falling in love with Jesus. Living life as Jesus calls me to live it, right? And we know it actually starts right there at the root, at desire. And what we desire is what we come to be. What we desire is what we come to be. My spiritual director always says, Jason, what's your great desire right now? What are you really wanting? Sometimes what I want is not necessarily the right thing. And all this means that with others... Our conversations aren't contentious, right? But rather they're helpful and they're encouraging. How many verses can you think of that have the word of encouraging each other in them, right? They're helpful and they're encouraging. They build up. They don't break down. As salt enhances the flavor of a meal, so our speech should enhance another person's life and faith, right? So how do you apply that? Well, before you open your mouth... Ask yourself, will this build them up 
or will this break them down? Will this build them up or will this break them down? Sometimes there are hard things that we have to say to people, but we can say it in the right way. You know, it's the, it's, you know if it's the latter, if it's going to break them down, maybe we remember Thumper's mother, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all, right? She was pretty wise, some, Thumper's little mom. We use our time well when we act wisely towards others, right? And acting wisely towards unbelievers, people outside of the faith, gives them an opportunity to glorify God themselves. Good works in public point others to Jesus, right? Those who don't know Jesus will speak against, you know, uh, or they'll doubt God, they'll speak against the church, they'll speak against uh, his people, they'll, they'll criticize, right? They don't understand it. And when we respond to outsiders with faith and honorable conduct and gratefulness and lack of complaining and good works, we help to give a physical representation of Jesus' spiritual work in our lives. And our spiritual testimony is confirmed by the work of God in us. So on September 20th, we're gathering with all these other churches in Delaware County to have a worship and prayer night to pray for each other and pray for our region. But at that night, we're going to be collecting money. Every dollar earned will be $100 of medical debt canceled in somebody's life in Delaware County. So think about that. Is it $1,000, $10,000 gone, right? Is that right, or is it $100? I forget. $100, $1,000 gone, yeah. I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not that bad in math. But, but that's, that's a big deal. How much of a weight is debt on people's lives, right? That's a great way to love our neighbors. And inevitably, some former critic of the church is going to say, I've always like, hated the church, but you know what? I got a check. Not that we're buying people off, but we're blessing. It's an incredible blessing. Yesterday, we were out praying over people openly, welcoming people, talking to people in our community out at this event, the Bryn Mawr Days, right? And our goal at the very least was that they would walk away feeling loved, if not brought closer to Jesus, if not healed of something or whatever. And that happened, I believe. We prayed over a few people. I would like to have prayed over more, but we got a lot of conversation going and really good stuff. It was fun. And people can't deny that you are good folks. This is a nice church. You guys are good folks, and you're spending your hours out there in the hot sun loving on people. They can't deny that. Yeah. Like they're screaming for me. Amen, he's saying, right? Acting wisely towards fellow members conquers evil with good. It conquers evil with good, right? Humility and grace towards each other counteracts evil in the world. It really does. I left here last Sunday, and I, um, I went straight to Hip City Veg in Suburban Square because I'm such a hipster, right? wanted to get, a, like, this vegan hamburger that Chuck and Christy told me all about. I ended up getting the chicken sandwich. Is that real chicken? Uh, oh, it's like, oh, that's true chicken. Oh, I killed, I killed, that's not? Is it, like, tofu or something? I don't know. Anyway, whatever it is, I ate it. It was really good. But while I was there, I ran into a friend, Pastor Brokenborough, who pastors the church um, across the street from Linwood Park that we partner with in our Kingdom Opportunities. And, um, 
And, we talk, and I talked with he and his wife and another guy for a while. I forget the guy's name. I had never met him before. And I am not unaware that others around us, because a lot of other people were sitting there. They were kind of quiet, and we were very loud in our talking, uh, <laughs> as pastors can be. <clears throat> and I was not unaware that all the other people saw that interaction between a white pastor and an African-American pastor, and how we not only respected each other and, you know, loved each other with our words, but we actually enjoy each other's company. He's a really funny guy. I like him. Humility is the cure for anger, right, and, and evil in the world. Humility covers a lot. As we treat each other well, forgiving each other, speaking well of one another, right, and living at peace as a church, we participate with the Holy Spirit to conquer evil with good. Living worthy of the gospel allows us to work together, right? Allows us to work together. Practicing the fruit of the Spirit in community challenges our lives, right? But it also changes the church as well. Members of a local church who fight for unity, labor for the gospel, and sacrificially serve together as pleasing to God and demonstrate the gospel as a, as a, to, to a watching world. They actually practice these things, and it changes the view of things. It's a big deal. As it says in Philippians 1.27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come to see, come and see your, you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for faith, the faith of the gospel. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Or James chapter 3, 13 through 18. Who is wise and, understand, and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Those are hard words. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure. Then peace-loving and considerate, and submissive, and full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial, and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Amen to that. These were written for our benefit. They weren't just words on a page, right? These are transformational statements. These are, this is the word of God. And it furthers God's kingdom when we practice it. We show others what it means to live worthy of the gospel when we act wisely towards other members. Seasoned with salt, staving off rot, 
Unsalted conversations degrade and break people down. They're unloving. They're sinful. Because they don't honor the complex created being standing before us. Nor is it obedience to all that Jesus taught and commanded us, right? So, reread your emails before you hit send. (laughs) Reread your posts before you post it. Ask yourself, are they salty? And I don't mean salty in the urban dictionary sense, which is the exact opposite of what we're talking about. I mean, are they salty in the biblical sense of preserving and building up? It's not being untrue to yourself or disingenuous to be kind and inquisitive of others on the other side of your issues. It's not. Instead of being knee-jerk and cutting, right, it's actually wisdom to be kind and inquisitive. When a person prefaces, prefaces their speech with, well, I'm, all, I'm just being honest, Right? You know what follows is not going to be very helpful. Right, You know it's going to be a problem statement. Some of us need to repent for what we've said to others or how we've said it. Again, maybe Thumper's mom was right. If you can't say anything nice, don't say nothing at all. Transformation can't happen through closed doors. And wrong words or... Attitudes conveys shut doors, right? And sometimes they never reopen. As we saw last week, I wanted to bring this up again. As we saw last week, Daryl Davis knew people hated him just for the, the color. Like, they didn't know him, but they knew that people hated him just for the color of his skin. His, his first experience with, of that was that when he, when he marched in a Boy Scout troop parade in a town and he was carrying the flag out front and a small group of people started pelting him with, with bottles and other things. And he didn't know what was going on. A whole crowd of whites gathered around him and protected him too. He was quick to point that out, which I'm grateful that he does. He wanted to know, how could these people hate me in, and they don't even know me? And that is a great question, right? They don't even know me. So when he grew up, as you remember from last week, if you were here, if, you're not, if you weren't, you're getting, it, you're getting it fresh. He invited the imperial wizard of the KKK to a hotel room, and, and he offered him hospitality. And Daryl, unarmed, right? And, and his secretary, poor woman, I, I felt bad for her. Like, I would have I stayed at home, right? She didn't ask for this, right? And the imperial wizard's bodyguard was armed. Open carry, right? And Daryl shook his hand, and they welcomed him, and they prepared food for him and drinks for him, and they sat down to talk, and a lot of good happens over hospitable meals, right? And Daryl spoke kind, respectful words to this man who was his enemy. And as a result of his interaction, Daryl was invited to attend KKK rallies with Roger Kelly, who was the the imperial wizard. And at one of these, Kelly points at Daryl and says to everybody there, all the KKK members there, he said, I'd follow that man to hell and back. We may not agree on everything, he said, but he's shown me respect. 
And since his journey began, Daryl has accepted a certificate of friendship from the traditionalist American Knights of the KKK. He's even godfather to Roger Kelly's granddaughter. It's crazy, right? Daryl eventually had the pleasure of receiving Kelly's imperial wizard robe as a gift for him when Kelly left the KKK due to their relationship. Water can wear away a stone, can it? Roger Kelly was a cop. Daryl Davis was a jazz musician. He wasn't a doctor of anything. He was a jazz musician. Amen. What a brave man. Now, you may not be infiltrating a dangerous white supremacist movement, but you can learn from Daryl in a polarized nation right now. Realizing that people are complicated, they're lost, and they can be transformed by the gospel. Like Christian Piccolini, if I say this correct, Picciolini, whom I also described last week, right? A lost and vulnerable 14-year-old kid without a racist thought in his, his head before this was dramatically changed overnight into a neo-Nazi He was recruited into the movement only because one guy stopped and talked to him and paid attention to him, right? Overnight, he says he he went from Joni Loves Chachi, and if you don't know what that means, it was an old TV show, very wholesome kid, right? Joni Loves Chachi to full-blown Nazi. And praise God that he left. He came to his senses years later, and he, he left, and he continues to tell his story about how he left disrespectful conversations create monsters. Respectful conversations can dismantle them. You don't have to agree on everything to have relationship with someone. You can seek common ground and unity and be kind and respectful and show honor to even monsters. It says in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. (laughs) That's called heaping burning coals on their head. Ever go into a conversation, hornet mad, just PO'd, right? Making statements that you think are true, but you find out later that they're not. It's pretty humbling, isn't it? Happens in marriage quite a bit. Happened this week, right? Maybe it's as small as you can't find your keys and you, you just bark at your wife. Where'd you put my keys? You're always moving my stuff. And she says very calmly, Honey, I haven't touched them, right? And you're like, yeah, right. You're always messing with my things, right? This is hypothetical. This never happened in my house, right? It's a wedge-driven. Trust is waning, right? And later that day, you find your keys, remembering where you left them, (laughs) and it's time to eat crow. And crow doesn't go down very well. That wedge may be driven deep, not just from that interaction, but all the others before it. And it may come with lasting damage. There may be a scar, right? I can't believe you voted for Hillary. 
you must enjoy killing babies. I can't believe you voted for Trump. You must be a racist. These are unhelpful statements. These are not helpful at all. Remember the relationship. Remember your call as a believer to be like Jesus. Remember the gospel. Wisdom tells us to cool off. To cool off, to wait, to sleep on it. And ask questions instead of hurling accusations. It's better to preface your questions or your statements differently. Honey, uh, did you happen to move my keys? (laughs) Right? With a smile. It comes out much better with a smile. I'm wondering what you meant when you said whatever, whatever, whatever. I heard you said or did X. Somebody told me this, right? But I wanted to do you the honor of confirming it before drawing my own conclusions. Can we talk about that? And when that person still says, yeah, I said that and I meant it, we still don't attack. We still don't attack. We ask further questions of understanding. And, and, by, and, and, by, and by the way, it's not that we think we're going to get to, you know, get them to get the right answers or for the right answers to come out of them or to convince that person otherwise or convince that person to my side of the argument. I don't think uh, Daryl Davis thought he was going to get Roger Kelly to just admit it all in that hotel room that night, right? It's rather, it's to make them feel respected. It's to make them feel loved and it's to make them feel honored. Daryl Davis disagreed with Robert Kelly on... Almost everything, I would think. Paul could have sat and watched that jailer in Acts chapter 16 kill himself and say to himself, serves him right for putting us in here because that jailer not only stuck him in jail, but put him in the very back of the, of the jail and also put them in shackles. He didn't have to do all that, right? Instead, Paul said to his perceived enemies, don't kill yourself. Let's have a conversation first. And then he shared Christ's love with him. (laughs) The unwise barrel in with anger and assumption. We've all done it. Have you done that? Come on, raise your hand. Yeah, we've all done it. We've all done it. But questions or statements posed respectfully, even hard ones, are okay. Questions asked with a sincere desire to understand somebody and create trust and openness where, where none was evident before, right? Anger melts in the face of sincere love and interest. I've begun watching this show uh, about the FBI, which in part explores you know, the whole idea of nature versus nurture, right? Are, are criminal minds born or are they formed over time? Did uh, Charles Manson pop out a murderous rapist or was he horned, uh, formed by some horrific childhood things in his life, right? Edward Kemper, who I never knew about before this show, they, they called him the co-ed killer who murdered you know, most of his family members, I think, and, and a host of college co-eds. Was he just created a serial killer at birth? Did he just pop out that way? Or was he a result of a growing, you know, changing formed person and by, you know, like all of his experiences, an abusive mother and everything else that he grew up with, right? The answer is both. 
And maybe modern psychology will catch up to that someday. All the, all the doctors in here are going to kill me. It's not just, you know, the answer is both. You know, it, it, it's not just psychological. It's not just emotional. It's a spiritual soul sickness that we all have. And Scripture is very honest about that. That we're all born into sin. And sin seizes opportunities afforded by it, uh, by, by all of our twisted and experiences and the hurts that we get from other people to create monsters in all of us. And the only answer is Jesus and the transformative power of His Word. The transformative power of the Holy Spirit on our lives. Remember from last week, 1 Peter 1.22 states, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other. You see how obeying the Word of God, obeying the truth of God leads to loving people well. Love one another deeply from the heart. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. That's your part. You lay down your life. You lay down your thoughts. You give it to God, right? In all ways, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You don't just go willy-nilly out there following anything that comes at you. But be transformed. That's the passive voice that's done to you. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, how God changes your heart. Now, the heart and the mind are the same thing in Scripture. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Amen to that. And Christ's power to transform us and purifies us allows us to practice things like Colossians 4, 5, and 6. Be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let me pray for us. Father, these... These are very practical things in life right now. These are things that we are facing, all of us. Some of us are very tired of hearing all the vitriol, all the arguments. We want to be a church that is settled and peaceful and reflective of you in all possible ways. In what we believe, what we hold to, in our behavior, in in reflecting you with loving others really well. We want to honor you with our lives, with our bodies, with our thoughts, with our innermost being. So we pray that your spirit, the power of your word, would be applied to our hearts to change us and make us more like yourself. We thank you for that.